Feeling better? Looking better? Making life better? It's Life Tips. Life, life, life. We'll explore the latest innovations, introduce you to the latest products, and bring you the tips from experts and environmental pioneers to help you lead a better life. Life Tips. Life Tips. Life tips. Making your life smarter, better, faster, wiser. Here are your hosts. Welcome back to the Life Tip Show. I'm here with Scott Eplin. Scott, welcome. Hey, Byron. Thank you. Well, here's a topic and the sort and the, the title of your book: Overworked and, and Overwhelmed. Um, the, tell us a little bit about those two phrases that have come become top of mind in, in the title of your book. Yeah. So I'm an executive coach and leadership educator. I've been doing that for 14 years, and what I've noticed over the last uh, six or seven years, in particular is that everybody I work with is overworked and overwhelmed, or almost everybody is. And I think it's sort of the uh, the epidemic of our age uh, for professionals, and uh, I felt like I needed to address it. So that's why we wrote the book, or I wrote the book. Appreciate the opportunity to chat with you about it today. Is this a norm now, sadly? Are we really literally all overworked and overwhelmed, at least how we feel and approach our business world? And why is that? Yeah, I don't know if all of us are, but I think a lot of us are. And, uh, you know, the folks that I work with are usually mid to senior managers and executives in some of the larger corporations that we're all familiar with. And I think in that environment, most people are overworked and overwhelmed. And I think there are two big reasons for why they feel that way, because it is a feeling, you know, it's, it's not a real tangible thing of, you know, overworked and overwhelmed is a, is a feeling that we have in response to things. But I think the reasons that we have those feelings uh, track back, one, to 2008, the financial crisis of 2008. Organizations had to learn very quickly how to do more with less in order to survive. And I, what I see out there, uh, and I talk with people about it all the time, including as recently as yesterday in a, in a session with a group, is that more with less operating environment continues, even as the economy in the United States begins to improve. And I can test that by asking people if they're in the same job today that they were in a year ago, but the scope is a lot bigger today than it was a year ago, and usually 70 or 80% of the people say yes, and so that is an indicator of the do more with less environment that people have to work in. The other big factor uh, started about a year before the financial crisis in 2007 is the introduction of the iPhone, and you know that computer that we carry around in our pocket that masquerades as a phone enables us to be hyper-connected 24-7, and I think it's raised... The expectations uh, of what people think they can do in a day or a week, and it's also erased any sense of boundaries that many people had for when they're on call and when they're not. Is the smartphone a drug, essentially, in that it is almost difficult, if not impossible, for us to tune out and turn it off? Yeah, I think that's actually a really good way to think about it uh, because a lot of people are literally addicted to checking their smartphone. Uh, there's a chemical in your brain called dopamine. That's the same. You know, it's a chemical that makes you feel good. Uh, one of those neurochemicals, like serotonin, and it's been proven that every time your phone lights up or it buzzes or you know that there's a new text message or or a uh, an email you get a little shot of dopamine because it might be something really interesting. You know, it's usually not, but it might be. And I, I, I reach for it. And then you can ask people, well, how many emails or texts do you get in a day? And, you know, it's a 200, 300, whatever. And so tell me what that looks like when you get that notification. People kind of jump with a start usually. I said, yeah, you know, so every time that happens, two to 300 times a day, you're getting this little shot of dopamine in your brain and you are literally chemically addicted 
to your smartphone. Those emails are not making us happy, and this 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 though this feeling we have is clearly doing more harm than good. But what should we be focused on, Scott? What and does make us happy? <laughs> that's that's the question they've been asking since Socrates, right? Um, what makes us happy? Um, here's let me answer it this way: uh, the subtitle of my book, "Overworked and Overwhelmed," is the mindfulness alternative. And what I'm suggesting is that taking a slightly more mindful approach to life is the way to go. Um, It's not trying to squeeze in 10 more hours a week of work. The average, uh, according to the Center for Creative Leadership's uh, study from last year, the average smartphone-enabled executive manager professional is connected to their work for 72 hours a week. There's only 168 hours a week to begin with. 10 more hours of work a week isn't going to get you there. 10 more hours of paying attention to your smartphone isn't going to get you there. What's going to get you there is to step back and ask yourself, what am I really trying to do here? And, and not by what am I trying to do here, I don't mean just at work. I mean in life. Like, why are you here? And giving yourself the space to mindfully tune in, I call it awareness plus intention is my definition of mindfulness. Being aware of what's going on around you and inside of you and being intentional about what you're going to do or not going to do next. I can't guarantee that leads to happiness, but I think you've got a better shot if you take it that way. Hmm. What happens when we successfully practice mindfulness? Do we feel happier? Are we more productive? What's the, what's the net result? Uh, yeah, I think you are more productive most of the time, and, and you have a higher, higher likelihood of being happier. But again, I want to make really clear what I mean and what I don't mean by mindfulness, because I think when people hear that word, they often think of you know Buddhist monks uh, chanting and meditating for hours at a time, or you know, somebody blissed out on a yoga mat or whatever, and all that stuff's fine, but a lot of people, that's not going to fit their life or where they are right now. So what I'm suggesting is all those thousands of year old traditions that are associated with mindfulness that seems like the barrier to entry is too high, there are things that we can learn from those traditions that are easy to do and likely to make a difference for just about anybody. And what we're trying to do is get ourselves out of the chronic fight-or-flight state that um, many professionals find themselves in today because of all the input that's coming in and access the other aspect of your autonomic nervous system. Fight or flight is the sympathetic nervous system. The opposite of that is the parasympathetic nervous system. That's called rest and digest. And what all the mindfulness traditions have in common, really, is they all activate our parasympathetic nervous system, our rest and digest response. Fight or flight is the gas pedal. Rest and digest is the brakes. Just like you do in a car, we need both the gas pedal and the brakes in the way we run our bodies and our lives. And so what I'm trying to get across with this book is there are simple things that you can learn from mindfulness that you can apply right now in your life that are going to activate your rest and digest response, slow you down a little bit, give you more perspective about and make you more aware about what you should be doing or maybe more importantly what you shouldn't be doing. Scott, you were a former Fortune 500 executive yourself. Do, do mm-hmm. you think that there's tension between, you know, coaching and training executives on being easy on themselves and perhaps being easier on their employees working for them in terms of productivity, goals, demands, pressure? And, and so the tension is between I'm, I'm not quite um, well. The tension is 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 all about the corporate ladder and rising to the top yeah, yeah. and and becoming workaholics and mm-hmm. and rewarding people that are that are that are displaying that commitment to the company by giving them raises and giving them promotions. Is there tension there? 
Well, I think, you know, the difference is between activities and results. You know, they're not the same thing. And, and so if, if you are in, engaged in the activity of working all the time, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're getting results. Mm-hmm. So that's the, that's the first thing that I think we should focus on is what are you really getting done? And maybe the best way to get meaningful things done is to not do so many activities. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. Like, you know, putting in, putting in the hours and, and answering the emails all, all, all hours of the night. So that's, that's one distinction. I think the other thing to think about is what story and whose story are you living in? You know, it's really easy to get sucked into a corporate story that we all have to act as if we're someday going to be the CEO of this company. And, you know, approach our work in that way. Because if you're the CEO of a major corporation, that's an all-in kind of choice, you know. Most people who have ended up being CEOs made a decision somewhere along the way that they were all-in on their career. And they, they optimized for that. That's fine. That's the decision they made. Not all of us are going to make that decision in that way. doesn't mean you still can't be a really valuable person to your organization. You just don't have to act and work as if you're going to be the CEO someday because you don't even want to be. And you're probably definitely not going to be, but you're living your life as if that story is your story. Hmm. Habits are difficult to change. What are some tips and success that you might have in the book that would help people through that very difficult and challenging process of changing behavior? Uh, I like to call them habit hacks. You know, so start small. And again, uh, we're working in the sweet spot between, if you think of an XY graph with easy to do on the vertical axis and likely to make a difference on the horizontal. The sweet spot is the upper right hand corner of that graph. You want to work on stuff that's easy to do and likely to make a difference. And I'll give you a quick example. Um, a woman that I, that I worked with or talked with earlier in the year uh, has a habit now that she's formed. When she pulls her car into the garage at night, she has to walk through the laundry room uh, between the garage and the kitchen. To get into the kitchen and the house, she has to go through the laundry room. She's, pl- <clears throat> excuse me, she's, <clears throat> let me just get a quick drink here. Sure. <clears throat> a little bit of frog in my throat. Um, she has to go through the laundry room to get to the kitchen. So she's got her iPhone charger plugged in over the washing machine. And her new habit is to pull her phone out of her purse when she's in the laundry room, plug it in over top of the washing machine, turn it face down on the washing machine and leave it there, and then close the laundry room door. She doesn't go back for her phone until her kids are in bed two or three hours later. And I asked her, I said, was that like hard to do when you first started doing it? She said, oh my gosh, I felt like I'd lost my arm. You know, for the first couple of weeks, I was so used. I mean, she was addicted to the dopamine of checking her phone. I was so used to checking my phone that it was really, it was hard the first couple of weeks, but the benefits uh, were so apparent in the first night. My kids were more fun to be around. They were easier to manage. We had conversations we never have. My husband was happier. I was happier. It was all good. And so the benefits were so great, even on night one, that she was totally willing to change the habit. So you, it's like Charles Duhigg talks about in um, The Power of Habit. You know, it's a cycle of cues and actions and rewards. And the cue for her is when she hits the garage, uh, she knows she's going to the laundry room. That's the cue. Leave the phone in the laundry room. The action is go about the evening without the phone. And the reward is, wow, this was a great experience. So I'm going to repeat the cycle. And was that relatively easy to do for her to plug the phone in? Yeah. Was it likely to make a difference? Yeah, it totally did. So that's look, look, little have action stuff that low barrier to enter that would possibly make a difference. Other than smartphones, what are some other distractions that are causing us to 
corrupt ourselves? Uh, YouTube, uh, Twitter, uh, flat screen TVs that are in every public space that we ever go in, and they all say breaking news, even though the story's two weeks old. Um, <laughs> you, know, it's, mm-hmm. you know, the distractions are so voluminous now. You know, there's there are so many devices and items and bits of information that are competing for our attention. And again, that's why I keep going back to mindfulness as being awareness plus intention. You know, I'm aware of what's going on around me, but I'm also aware of what do I really need to focus on, and then I can be intentional about focusing on that. What was like life without these distractions around us? I can't remember. That's exactly true, isn't it? I mean, you know, the, the, again, the iPhone was only introduced in 2007. It seems like it's been around for 30 years because it's such a huge part of our life, and it's not all bad. I mean, you know, I use my phone all the time for Google Maps and Uber, and what, I mean, I travel a ton. I, you know, I die without my United Airlines app on my phone. I'm really thankful to have it, but does it have to control my life? I, no, it doesn't. I can use it. At, you know, I use it. It doesn't use me. But quite often we get into the other, you know, the other end of that dynamic. Let's take a break, and we'll be back in just a minute, everyone. Life Tips will be right back after this short break. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics, seen other SEO experts, but did you know they can help you with PBC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today at BruceClay.com. When you started your business, you first listened to your professors. Now that your business is growing and gaining ground, you only seek out professionals. PPC Professionals, an industry leader for highly optimized search marketing campaigns with over 30 years of combined management experience. Our professional approach to every campaign helps you find every avenue of revenue so that you can not only stay ahead of your competitors, but get a return on your investment and increase your bottom line. PPC Professionals, personal, professional, PPC services. PPCProfessionals.com. ShipStation helps online retailers ship orders faster. It's so easy to set up and use. ShipStation gives you tools to automatically import, manage, and ship your orders in the most cost-efficient way. Save money with the best USPS rates possible, as well as a free USPS account. ShipStation integrates with all the most popular e-commerce platforms and shipping carriers. Get shipping done no matter where you sell or how you ship. WebmasterRadio.fm listeners get an additional 30 days free after the free 30-day trial. Go to ShipStation.com slash WebmasterRadio now. Shipping Nirvana. Introducing Rumble, the smart mobile management system, the first end-to-end mobile platform where you can make real-time app modifications from a point-and-click dashboard. Want to change the design of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Want to change the ad map of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Want to change the content mix of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Power your mobile business with Rumble. Are you ready to rumble? Visit www.rumble.me. And now back to Life Tips. Making your life smarter, better, faster, and wiser. Here are your hosts. 
Welcome back to the show, everyone. We're here with Scott. Scott, pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you, Byron. I'm enjoying it. Difficult question for you, but do you think we've reached the point of no return from being completely absorbed with all these distractions? No, I don't. I, and I think it's an individual uh, issue. You know, perhaps as a society, that's where we're headed. But again, that's the story for society. What I really want people to focus on is what's your story or what do you want your story to be? And um, one of the things that I heard a lot about when I was doing the interviews for my new book is boundaries and guardrails. And do you have any? Do you have any boundaries and guardrails in your life? That's the first question. And the second question is, if you have them, does anybody else know what they are? Because if they don't know, if nobody else knows what your boundaries and guardrails are, you're not likely to stay within them. Uh, you have to reinforce your boundaries or enforce your boundaries with yourself and with others. And so, again, I'm just asking people to be aware and intentional about what their boundaries are or what they need to be. Because the, all the devices make it really easy to totally forget what they ever were, what the boundaries were. Could you imagine a company that had a no cell phone zone zone or a 10 to 2 no email communication? We have to actually physically talk with one another. Yeah, I can imagine companies that have email free Fridays or meeting free Fridays because there are companies like that. Daimler Benz, the company that makes Mercedes, instituted a policy in the last year that when you go on vacation, in Europe they call it holiday, which sounds a lot better than vacation, but when you go on holiday at Daimler Benz, all of the emails that come to you in the two to four weeks that you're away on your European holiday are deleted automatically. So when you come back to your email on that Monday morning after holiday, your inbox is empty. And I tell, I tell that to Americans and their jaws drop in disbelief. And the next question is, why can't we do that? Well, you can actually. <laughs> I mean, your company may not do it, but you can set up a rule in your email that sends all of your emails while you're on vacation to a folder called vacation. And then when you get back, don't check it. Just wait for people to follow up with you. Hey, that email I sent you last week, what do you think about that? Then go into the folder, search for that email, and answer it. And then three months later, delete the entire folder. Only look at the emails you need to look at and delete everything else after enough time passes that it's an old issue. And again, we get sucked into the idea that, oh my gosh, I got an email, I got to answer it right away. Really? Who said? Why do you? And um, just awareness and intention. Do you think that reward is a critical element to making change here? Um, you gave a great example earlier of uh, somebody that you know put the phone down on the on the on the you know washing machine, and mm-hmm. of course was half listening. By the way, to the vibration. I mean, you have to turn your vibrator off if you do that. By the way, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but right. but other than that, you know, there isn't much reward you get right by just turning your phone off. Do you, do you know what I mean? You're like, oh, what am I going to do now? You know, and you know, I'm, I'm oh, my saying, life isn't yeah. much better now. Like, yeah. I, I, I wish I was surfing Facebook, you know, and yeah. okay, I won't check email, but I still want to surf Facebook, you know. What's the reward that someone can see from disengaging from these distractions? Uh, you're going to be healthier. That's the first thing. I, I was with a guy yesterday in a leadership program I was leading, and he talked about he a few years ago turned in his company issued iPhone. He had his personal iPhone and he had his company iPhone. He turned his company iPhone in, almost got fired 
His boss said, do you still want to work here? His boss held on to his phone for six weeks. Every week would ask him, do you want your phone back? No, I don't want my phone back. I asked him, his name was Mike. Mike, why did you turn it in? He said, because I could see that it was killing me, like literally. Because you're in a, when you're in a chronic state of fight or flight, and that company iPhone is a big contributor to why you are, uh, you know, there are systems in your body that elevate, and there are systems in your body that de-elevate when you're in fight or flight, whether it's acute or chronic. Your blood pressure goes up, that leads to heart disease. Your immune system goes down, that leads to cancer and higher rates of infection. Your sticky platelets go up, that lead, leads to clots, that lead to strokes and heart attacks. Your... Uh, growth in sex hormones drop that leads to premature aging and so a lot of people whether they're aware of whether they're paying attention to it or not they're probably aware of it but whether they're really paying attention to it or not this lifestyle is killing them and it's killing them quickly rather than slowly and so do you want to feel better do you want to have more time with your friends and family uh do you want to live to see your grandkids grow up maybe you want to you know quit looking at the email so damn much (laughs) clearly interviews like this help people understand that but why aren't we seeing more about this why isn't the why isn't why aren't we seeing more direct correlation between these problems let's say on the news you know npr you know well yeah npr i think is an exception uh but you know the cable news is terrible for it uh and because the reason is because they make their ratings based on fear they're trying to stir up people's anxiety and that's what they're selling and that's what a lot of lots of marketers are either selling hope or fear. Uh-huh. And, and quite often what we're being sold is fear. And so, again, what story are you living in? Whose story are you consuming? And I um, just keep asking the question, what's your story? Uh-huh. And, and once you start to figure out what your story is, almost, it's almost like you can't watch cable news anymore because it's just like, man, I, you know, I, that's too much. You know, it just, I don't like what it does to me, so let me turn that off or get away from it. Mm-hmm. What's what's next for you? Is there a sequel to this book? <laughs> oh, I hope not. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's it's a you know the process of putting a book out into the world is uh, it's too soon for me to say that I would do another book right now. But you know, I just want to I want to sh- I want to spread this message, and mm-hmm. I want to keep working with. I, I just I'm a you know you're a coach. You work with coaches. Coaches are in a helping profession. That's that's mm-hmm. what I do, and. Uh, you know, one thing we haven't talked about, I, I talk in the book, where this really crystallized for me was uh, back in 2009, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And and it really is a life-changing experience. And, and I, very long story short, started practicing mindfulness much more intentionally. Because when you have MS, you have to manage your stress. And if you don't, you bought, your body tells you that immediately, you know, and it, it comes in the form of not being able to walk so well or think so well or get out of bed or whatever it might be. And so, you know, I started doing yoga. I started doing a little bit of meditation every day. I started eating more intentionally. And bit by bit, step by step, I learned how to manage my stress. Do I ever get overworked and overwhelmed? Yeah, everybody does. The difference is I recognize it earlier than I used to, and I know what to do about it when I do. I focus on activating my rest and digest response. And that's what I want to share with everybody else, is that there are simple things that you can do that are going to make your life better uh, and happier. And you know, we asked about the happiness thing earlier. There is stuff you can do that will help with that. And uh, I just want to get that word out. 
and it's sorry to hear about the diagnosis, and I have like a hundred questions that I'd love to ask about that. Do you feel like stress was was part? I mean, MS, by the way, is a, is a neurological, uh, you know, d- disease, if you will. Um, yeah, totally. It's a central and, nervous system disease. Exactly. Do you feel like your stress as an executive at a Fortune 500 company led to some of that potential uh, uh, actual scarring of the brain, which is what I've learned uh, about yeah. MS as yeah. well? Yeah, yeah. Who knows? Nobody really. Who knows? knows. Yeah. Nobody really knows what causes MS. But what we do know from the Benson Henry Institute for Mind Body Medicine at Harvard is that somewhere between sixty and ninety percent of all doctors' visits are stress-induced visits. Hmm. Most most illness is is tied to stress. Hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, you know, was am I MS in part driven by stress? Probably. But there are probably other factors, too. I mean, you know, if you live in the northern hemisphere, you're more likely to get it than you live in the su- and then if you live in the southern hemisphere. Right. So, you know, who knows? Just so many things go into that. What were some of the signs of, of, of stress getting to you uh, that, that you remember even back, even before the diagnosis? You know, you know, anxiety, you know, circulation issues, you know, tell us about how stress affected you. Well, and it, it you know, so insomnia. You know, uh-huh. uh, and that's uh, that's a classic because your your cortisol and your adrenaline goes up when you're in chronic fight or flight, and that leads to anxiety and insomnia and weight gain and other things. Uh, weight gain, you know, I, most of the people I know that leave corporate America and go do something else, if you see them six months later, they've lost twenty to thirty pounds, uh-huh. and it's because their their stress hormones have decreased. Um, that's a big re- the cortisol is there's not as much cortisol tur- turning around in their body, and so yeah, I lost weight when I you know left corporate America. I'm not saying everybody should leave corporate America. I think there are ways that you can manage it, you know, and address it. And that's again, okay. that's what I'm trying to do through my work is help people do that. Really fantastic. And by the way, I have about five people I need to personally refer you to that, <laughs> that, that are executives completely stressed out of their minds and yeah, unaware of what, what, they're, what they're doing to their bodies and their mind, right? Yeah. And, and their productivity and decision-making because when you're anxious and haven't slept, you don't make good decisions and you don't build strong relationships. So you know, you're, not as, you're not showing up at your best. And that's really what I'm trying to help people do is show up at your best uh, identify the routines are going to help you show up at your best and be intentional about the outcomes that should happen or that you would expect to happen in, at home, at work, and in the community if you're showing up at your best consistently. Really good stuff. Do you think we'd ever see a day where, where companies might might grasp this concept and embrace it and perhaps uh, offer sabbaticals to their executives to just you know decompress yeah. for, for two weeks, four weeks, and just get away from the business and come back much more refreshed and energized to, and able to tack on issues much more intelligently? Yeah, so I think, we, I think and I'm encouraged by some of the trends I see in companies uh, encouraging more mi- a, mindful, a more mindful approach to, to work work and life. I'm encouraged by that. Uh, will we get to the point where two to four week sabbaticals are common? I doubt it. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, the economic pressures are too too great uh, typically for that. But I am encouraged by some of the things I see larger organizations doing to help people, to support people in this way. Success is often defined by more pressure and also uh, more work. Um, do you think that philosophically we will at least change that as a concept and at least reward more vacation, for example, for more executives and encourage them to take it or lose it? You know, yeah. do, do you see some baby steps happening there at least? 
You know, I think it's going to be a generational shift, honestly. I, I think uh, the generation after the baby boomers, the generations after the baby boomers, the millennials and, and uh, you know, the, the 20-somethings uh, now, um, they have different expectations of their lives uh, than I'm a baby boomer. I'm a tail end of the baby boom. Um, I don't know where you are, but, I, you know, a lot of people listening are probably baby boomers. And uh, I think we kind of grew up with the idea that it was all about the hard work and, you know, you, you chase after the, the ring and you get on the gerbil wheel and, and all of that. And, uh, you know, I have two sons who are 25 and 21, and I think they're pretty representative of their cohort. They have much different expectations about what they want out of life. Mm-hmm. And I think they're willing to settle for less material comfort um, to get that. You know, they, they, they have a, a fairly integrated, rich approach to life. And it's not just my sons. I see that with a lot of, a lot of mm-hmm. people from that generation. So I think it's just going to change anyway, you know. And, and I think uh, employers are going to have to change the way they operate to accommodate the demographic of the people that are going to be taking the jobs in the future. As a former executive, does it concern you, though, with the attitude of millennials with such the laid-back uh, you know what what we 're seeing in the studies that they 're just plain you know will be happier living in their uh, small tiny apartment you know it 's more about the quality of the work and believing in what the company you know does, not just fitting into this role. Do you worry both about companies and about millennials finding a, a way up the ladder to earn more money? Does that concern you at all nope <laughs> it really doesn 't because i yeah. again come back to this theme that i 've been talking about today about story. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's a, a guy that I cite in the book, um, I can't remember his name right now, but he talks about uh, the dark side of the American dream. And you know, the American dream is to go acquire more stuff. And uh, to what end? At what point does stuff, do we have enough stuff? You know, The average American has far more stuff than the average citizen of the world. Mm-hmm. And so how much do you need, really? You know, and, and again, awareness and intention. How much do I really need? And what's my intention around then? What do I do next or not do next based on that? And, you know, I think we'll survive. I think the economy will survive. It, it'll change. It always has. But I, I think it'll survive. Isn't it really the case that that stress that we endure almost forces us to go out and make these ridiculous purchases and acquisitions and thirst for materialism to somehow reward ourselves for all of that stress? Yeah, same thing as chocolate or a chocolate chip cookie, right? Yeah. It's, it's my yeah. re- or, or a beer or a glass of wine. It's it's my reward for a tough day. Uh-huh. Well, you know, I can either focus on what other rewards could I have for a tough day, or I could ask myself, uh, why do I have so many tough days? <laughs> you know? Yeah, and uh, what can I do to change that? You know, it's cue the cue the the action and the reward cycle that we were talking about earlier. You know, the reward is a glass of wine or going to buy a, you know, a new toy. Uh, well, you know, maybe there's a different reward or maybe there's a different cue and action that I could take. Scott, it's been terrific having you on the show today. Thanks so much. You bet, Byron. I'm really pleased to do it. Thanks for having me. Right on. Two more questions for you. Who do you want to get a hold of you and how would you like them to get a hold of you? Well, I, I hope everybody listening, if you're intrigued by this, will take a look at the book, Overworked and Overwhelmed, The Mindfulness Alternative. And it's available everywhere you would expect to find it, Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and so forth. 
Um, you can get a hold of me. I, I, I'd love it if you'd follow me on Twitter. Uh, that's a probably pretty good access point. I also blog regularly at evelyngroup.com slash blog and pretty widely followed blog. And I write about a lot of this kind of stuff there. So um, evelyngroup.com and the blog and Twitter at Scott Evelyn on Twitter and uh, take a look at the book. That'd be awesome. Everyone will hopefully look for your profile up on the writer access and the life coach directory as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yes. Thanks for being on the show today. Once again, until right on. Until next week, I hope your life's a little smarter, better, faster, and wiser, and more in tune with mindfulness. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. We'll see you next week. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.